Welcome to the Nurses Station by UC Health, a podcast that aims to inspire, encourage, and share stories from nurses from a variety of settings. My name is Amanda Cobb. Today I have with me David Rickey. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, David, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your position at UC Health? Sure. Um, I am the nurse manager of the Neuro Intensive Care Unit at University of Colorado Hospital. Um, I've been in the Neuro ICU now for about 15 years, um, have held different roles, uh, bedside nurse, charge nurse, A&M and manager. And um, a few years ago, finished my clinical nurse special list um, education as well. So, Oh, congratulations. So yep. you've kind of been born and raised in critical care, so to speak. Definitely. Yep. What is it about critical care that you just, that draw, that what draws you to critical care? I think a lot of it was always drew me was the complexity, the ability to really focus in on one or two patients and really kind of solve a problem and solve the mystery and um, being able to be really hands-on and uh, a lot of critical thinking. So it's no mystery to anyone in nursing or in healthcare that critical care can be an extremely stressful environment to work in. Is that a true statement? Very true. <laughs> um, so if you don't mind, could you, could we maybe talk a little bit about where all those stressors come from? I feel like it's, you know, they come from all, uh, all over the place, but um, maybe could you tell us from your experience where some of those stressors may come from for our teams? Sure. You know, I think a lot of um, people like just recently in the news of seeing the football player requiring CPR very publicly. I think brought attention to just one intervention um, that staff can uh, see and um, experience um, fairly regularly. Um, but I think in my experience, the physical activities of, of nursing or critical care nursing aren't always the most distressing aspects of it. Like when you're doing the right thing or following evidence-based practice, you know that you're doing right, even if maybe there's a little bit of harm. Particularly in my specialty of neurocritical care, there's a lot of moral distress around the question of should we be doing what we're doing? Um, if there's not a clear outcome or a clear known of how well this patient will recover, there tends to be a lot of moral moral distress um, of just because we can, should we, or if there's conflict with what the patient wish is and what, how the patient wants their care to go or the end of their life to be, um, that experience versus what family um, has a conflicting viewpoint of it. So that can be really challenging for, for staff. Um, and now post COVID, I think people's experience through COVID I think people's emotions are much closer to the surface than they ever have been as healthcare providers. And so the, it, it seems to take less distress or less moral distress in situations to bring up really deeply kind of um, hidden experiences from our past. Sure. So we've got stress that's coming from just the innate work of critical care nursing or nursing in general, um, these moral and ethical dilemmas. We've got stress um, from our teams, from physician colleagues, et cetera. I um, started off my career in the neonatal intensive care. And I think 
I was harder on myself than anyone. Um, so I had my own um, self-inflicted stress of, did I make the right call? Did I make the right decision? Am I, you know, leaning in where I should or backing off where I shouldn't? So um, I remember that very well, clearly today. Yeah, I call that nursing guilt. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, where you're like, um, did I do enough? I couldn't do enough. And sometimes you don't, you don't leave feeling like you did everything. And there are days where you, you can't do everything the patient needs. It's not possible. And um, I had a recent conversation with a staff member who found themselves um, uh, over-focusing on the things they couldn't do. And I had to do this during grad school. You never feel like you can't do everything right. And so I had to always flip the script of instead of focusing on what you didn't or can't get done in a day, reflect on the, the things that you did do. And that list inevitably is always going to be longer than the things that you couldn't achieve that day because like the work is demanding and there's only so many hours in your shift and you have to pass on some things. And well, nursing guilt is real. And Ultimately, in my current role as a nurse leader, um, I feel like that's really good advice. Um, at the end of the day, even in my current position, I still feel like I didn't get done all of those things that I needed to or should have or could have. And so I think that's really good advice just to focus on, you know, what did you accomplish today, um, no matter what your role is in nursing? Yeah, exactly. So you are doing a lot of work in this space of wellness, well-being, and um, overall combating these stressors that are hitting our nurses from all angles. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in that space? Sure. Yeah, we actually were able to develop a wellness program for the neuro ICU um, from a financial donation of a previous patient who really wanted to focus on um, staff self-care, burnout prevention, and um, like he's a, he's a businessman and he looks at decisions of like, uh, if a staff member leaves, that's a financial loss. They're taking uh, with them knowledge that you need them to run your business and it's going to cost money to train them. And so knowing that staff were leaving healthcare or finding different jobs in healthcare because of um, burnout, like he really had a vested interest in helping the nurses who helped care for him learn how to care for themselves and like ultimately stay at the bedside longer or for the rest of their career because it is such a valuable role. That is so, amazing. So you had a patient that financially donated to start this program. Um, was this uh, as a result of a catalyst like the COVID-19 pandemic or is this in general just a feeling of the overwhelming sense of stress and burnout and fatigue that comes with critical care nursing? Yeah, this actually was prior to COVID happening. Awesome. His um, his stay with us was before COVID and he wanted to give this money to help support um, prior to COVID. But we ended up um, launching uh, this during COVID, the program. So I think you mentioned this was at a time when well-being wasn't as um, front and center as it is um, with healthcare now. So um you do want to tell us a little bit about the progression of where you started and where you're at now? Yeah, when we were approached to find out, to be told we had this kind of all of a sudden piggy bank of money to create a program and it really was like there was 
no real restrictions. Like we could make it what it was, but at the time it was really, it was self-care was in the magazine, on the news, but in a very generic term. And, you know, I kind of describe it as like an immature level of self-care knowledge, like, you know, treat yourself to that new pair of yoga pants. Like that's care of you right and it was more about experiences having you making you feel good but it wasn't necessarily in a, at a depth to help um people learn what self-care is learn what how to build resiliency and that was really the goal of of our program was to make something that was really going to target the issue and not just giving you a very short time frame of feeling good because of an experience. And that's where we really got to um, connect with um, Meredith Miller, who has done a lot of research in um, critical care uh, burnout and in resiliency. And then she helped formulate and create the program uh, with us that we ended up implementing. Excellent. So you got this donation, you started working with the experts to figure out, you know, what does this long-term solution look like? The, the retail therapy can only help so long. Um, and I was disappointed when I found out that retail therapy isn't the same as real therapy. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so where has your program been and where is it going now? Yeah, so the first year was pretty exciting. Um, we were going to focus on um, a cognitive behavioral therapy, um, kind of a can't remember the terminology. We were going to use cognitive behavioral therapy techniques um, to engage staff in how to reframe their thinking about kind of their experience. Um, and that was based off of a recommendation from Meredith because I think that was a, um, an area that really needs to be um, researched and investigated is how can we use CBT um, for um, clinician um, burnout? Um, there really wasn't a strong evidence-based protocol for that, but what they ended up choosing was what's called a narrative expressive writing intervention. And what that structure ended up in was first staff would have a one-on-one confidential meeting with a clinical psychiatrist that we connected with at the VA. Um, they would go through the concepts of, um, the program get a baseline idea of what is your baseline kind of stress level. And then the narrative expressing writing would occur um, through uh, REDCap, which was a confidential platform that we could collect the data. The idea being was pick situation, you know, potentially clinically that was known to be a stressor? Was it a code that did not go well, a patient death that was unexpected, maybe a poor interaction with a team number? And you would write maybe 15 minutes. It wasn't an extensive period of time. So you'd journal for like 15, 20 minutes about that experience, describing. And you would submit that. Your response would be read by a, um, a therapist who would then ask you a question back about that experience and kind of using um, CBT techniques to like, so what were the feelings that you felt during that experience? And then journal about that kind of question and submit it. And the therapist, you know, 
brief that and then kind of guides you into another uh, kind of more, a deeper level of that experience about how you experience that physically, emotionally, how you adapted or changed to it. And so that ended up being five sessions of that, of a feedback loop from a clinical therapist. Um, and then it ended, that series ended with another one-on-one with a clinical psychiatrist, debrief, and then a touch base. And then at each of those, uh, the clinical psychiatrist, we had given all of our university or UC Health um, resources, like first call, EAP, uh, that kind of more emergent hotline for people to have resources in case it was a triggering event that they needed additional uh, therapy or additional uh, mental health support as well. So your team members that participated, did they pick one particular situation to stick with for the entirety of the program, or did they have new situations that came up, you know, every week that they worked? Yeah, so the program um, was kind of set up where people had the opportunity to do multiple cycles throughout the year, that first year if they wanted. So one cycle would be approximately a six-week time period. So that cycle would ideally have had one topic for them to really kind of explore. If they chose to do a second um, kind of cycle of that six week, they could choose another um, event or maybe even continue on that one. Um, We had with that, uh, we, I decided as the manager to create um, a requirement for as a yearly competency of wellness. Um, Most um, areas have competency um, requirements for each year. And I decided that to normalize the conversation around wellness and that it was important that we talk openly about it. And then I wanted to make it and demonstrate that this is so important to us as healthcare providers that this is now a required competency in our unit. And so to meet the requirement, they had to do just the one cycle. That is a really innovative approach to normalizing this. Like you said, that was my my next question was, how did you integrate this into normal practice? Were these journaling sessions, you know, part of the shift or were they part of the expectation? You know, oftentimes we hear it's it's really hard for shift workers to you know, stay late to complete this meeting or to come in early or come in on their day off or things like that. So were there ways that you were able to combat that particular barrier or other barriers you've experienced along the way? Yeah. um, So how I helped support, you know, really evaluated our productivity and knowing that not everyone would be participating at the same time, it would allow, I did allow a a certain amount of pay if they completed the entirety of that cycle. Um, that was to help encourage and then help them participate outside of work as well. Um, it was not perfect. Um, we, I try to remember the total number of people that did participate. And I think it was 58 people initiated the program. Um, and then 31 of those 58 um, completed a full cycle. And so that's a maybe 30-ish percent of my staff, maybe. So like okay. it wasn't a perfect idea. 
One of the most interesting phenomenons that I noticed that I would love to explore more is, is a little bit of the avoidance that I've seen um, from um, healthcare providers when it comes to this in-depth level of self-care and resiliency training. So personal um, feelings of um, not opposition, but um, reluctance, I guess. Um, that's interesting. Overall, did you see any other um, trended outcomes with this program? You know, retention or um, employee engagement, satisfaction with their work, anything, any of those measures? I know you talked a little bit about um, personal like burnout scores and things, but is there any other outcomes you want to share with us? Yeah, we, the, this first year of the program uh, with the narrative writing intervention, um, we were actually lucky enough that we published um, in the American Journal of Critical Care Nursing. Um, and we're hoping to present it at Magnet next year. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, I'm hoping that goes well. It's, I really look forward to sharing this program. Um, I think it's really important work. But we did want to measure and we're measuring turnover data as well. Um, because of COVID, um, I think the intervention in of itself during the middle of the pandemic, I don't think was as, could it be as impactful due to our, our turnover was pretty significant sure. compared to the nation. I, don't, I think we were better than the national average, but it was hard to use that as a. Our profession but. has experienced quite a bit lately. So, um, I agree with you. It'd be really hard to show the impact of this specific program during such a critical point in our profession nationwide. But the, having Meredith be able to measure our data really well, she was able to really, we were able to see that um, it did have, for those that completed the program, it did reduce um, depressive symptoms and perceived level of stress at a statistic um, level. So it was really really impactful. And so it's like hoping to. Yeah. I, I think as leaders, we would hope it would impact um, someone's decision to stay with UC Health, but also to stay within the profession. Um, I think that's, you know, what we focus on as leaders, but overall as human beings, I think the fact that you were able to show the these nurses as humans first really experienced uh, betterment in their personal well-being, their personal depression and, and burnout is is huge. And I just commend you and your team for investing in this work. Thank you to the donor that also made this possible. But really, um, you are paving the way for not only UC Health, but for nurses across the, the globe on integrating this as a normalized practice. So I just, I thank you for that. Um, is there any other closing remarks that you want our listeners to know about your team or, or your work. This is just, this is so exciting and so meaningful. Yeah, no, and we were kind of entering our third year of the our program on the unit and we're trying to adapt it really to no one modality, no one modality is going to meet every individual's needs because we each kind of learn differently. We each appreciate different styles. And so we're just trying to introduce people to new modalities that they might not have ever known could work for them. And I just want to encourage people to lean into the discomfort that you'll feel when you start to address some of these things we've kind of suppressed. Um, but knowing that 
by investing in yourself first is going to really have a positive impact on your entire personal life and, and your career going forward in the future, which it'll only enhance your relationships, your friendships, you know, with your significant other, with your coworkers as well. So lean into the discomfort. It feels picky, trust me. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to come out with a clear mind, kind of clear emotions, and you're just going to be able to give to those around you. But what, I couldn't think of a more beautiful way to close out today's episode. So thank you, David, for joining us and thank you for leading the way. Um, so thank you for our listeners for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.